0: This is The Fit Mess with Zach and Jeremy. Anxiety is high for everybody right now. I know I'm feeling it, I know Zach's feeling it, I know most of the world is feeling it right now. This is something that we touched on briefly in our last episode. We're going to dive a lot deeper this week with our guest. We're very lucky to be joined by Dr. Mark Brackett. He is the author of Permission to Feel. It is an absolute game changer of a book. If you have not read it, please go to our website and buy it right now. There is a link on our website, thefitmess.com. But thank you for being there. This is The Fit Mess. My name is Jeremy. His name is Zach. What's up, everyone? So I think our conversation with Dr. Brackett is going to dovetail nicely with the last episode where Zach, you and I just sort of talked about anxiety, uh, primarily your struggles with it over the years. Mine is always, as we've talked about extensively on the show, I've been more on the depressed side. Uh, but anxiety is uh, running rampant through the country, as you'll hear from Dr. Brackett in just a few minutes. He's uh, He's been doing research on this for the last few months. And I, I know it's been tough for you guys too, especially when it comes to this homeschooling stuff. And, and you've had a, a pretty uh, exciting week with your kid uh, with, uh, among this uh, COVID nonsense.
1: Yeah, it's been great. So, my wife works from home and typically I go into the office and my daughter goes to school. So back when COVID hit, you know, my my daughter and I showed up at the house I'm like, Hey, we're here. We we go to school and we work from here now with you. <laughs> and you're our office mate. And every hour I was, you know, going downstairs trying to talk to my wife, like, how's it going? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, just like I just needed somebody to interact with. But um, so Natalie, my daughter, went back to school this week, and she oh. physically went back. Um, I'm sorry, she went back to school last week. Um, it's all a blur anymore. Yeah,
0: they're all the days are just one day, and they're all the same.
1: So, uh, so Natalie went back to school, and I've been going into the office because it's an office for 300 people, and four people show up. Nice. So it's super, super nice. Like it's probably safer there than it is here. Cause every time I leave my office, there's a gentleman who comes through and cleans after
0: me. Nice. So I gotta get it. I gotta get one of those for my house. I know that's why I keep going to work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway. Um, so Natalie has been in school. I've been going to the office. My wife has been having her days to herself, uh, on Monday though, Natalie, she got into the habit last summer of going to the nurse's office during summer camp if she had like a headache or something like that, because she'd get a popsicle. Mm. And on Monday she was like, "Ah, I'm just not feeling class right now. So I've got, Oh, I've got a headache. I'm going to go to the nurse's office. So she went to the nurse's office and of course headache is a COVID symptom. So she got sent home (sighs) and she couldn't go back until she got a negative COVID test. So now my wife texted me, she's like, Natalie's coming home. I'm already at work. You know, like it's, With the two of us home and working, we can manage her for the most part. Otherwise, she'd just watch TV all day. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I was like, okay, well, I'm coming home. I'm not going into the office. Um, And the turnaround, like I heard one guy, it took him eight days to get a a COVID test um, result back.
0: Right. Plenty of time to actually get COVID if you didn't have it when you got the test eight days ago.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um, And someone else is like two to four days. And we went in the next day and she got her test. And we got our results back an hour and a half later. I am she curious.
0: She, so she got the COVID test. Was it the the nose swab? Did they did yeah. they tickle her brain with the Q tip?
1: Yep. She How? came home from that, and she was she was like, "That was the
0: worst thing ever." Oh, I bet. So then
1: we had we had to have the conversation of, "Okay, if you have a headache and it's uncomfortable, that's one thing. You need to really just deal with that. Mm-hmm. If you have a headache and you're in pain, go to the nurse's office." So mm-hmm. we like. I don't know. I, I just never expected to have this conversation with my nine year old of like if you have a
0: COVID symptom and it's uncomfortable, right, deal with it. Right. And if you just yeah. want a popsicle, don't ask the nurse.
1: Yeah. Ask yeah. somebody so, else. <laughs> like I'm at work, mom's at work.
0: We don't have time for this nonsense. Oh my gosh. But so the the test came back within a couple of hours, negative. Yep. And so negative and she went
1: back to school and everything's school. fine. So <sighs>
0: Man, I it's But you're homeschooling. I'm homeschool. Yeah, we're we're all online with uh, a kindergartner, so her only experience with actual school is uh, on her iPad, her her district issued iPad, which is remarkable. Like I'm in I'm in the same room as my kids, like they're set up at their side-by-side desks. They're on their computers, they're in their Teams meetings. And it's crazy to me to watch and hear a 5-year-old interacting with her teacher in her classroom on a Teams meeting as though it's some like corporate, you know, remote meeting. And she's like, yeah, I went into that app. And when I opened it, I didn't find the document that you were referring. I'm just like, you're five. How how do you even, you can't read. How do you know what app to open and where to go and what to (laughs) click? So that's been stunning just to watch them. And, you know, I I keep telling people that one of the benefits that's going to come of this is our kids are going to be so much more technologically advanced than we would have ever been. Because they'll have to learn how to use computers when they're five years old. It's it's amazing.
1: Well, technologically advanced or or fully addicted to whatever it is out there at an early age.
0: That is the the other thing I keep seeing uh, my kids because their their desks are sort of in the in the main walkway of our house. They drift a lot to their desk. Oh, I'm just checking. I'm like, oh, I know that story. I'm constantly just checking real quick. <laughs> it's uh. I'm checking work email. Yeah. At and I'm just nine che- o'clock at night. My daughter, my oldest daughter today, I was I was working on something else and she came up and asked me, like, can we get um Margot's email set up on her computer? Like, like her Gmail? I'm like, Why? Why do we need to set up Gmail like she has an account that like we've been sending emails to just forever because one day she'll open them and she'll see emails from mom and dad from ten years ago. Yeah. But but my five year old who can't read doesn't need to be able to open her Gmail and check her email real quick while she's, while she's, over. this was just another, like another dopamine hit for my older daughter to get on a computer and do something. So it's, it's in full effect. The, uh, the online addiction stuff is, is setting in quickly.
1: Yeah, no, the, the electronic, the electronics were a lifesaver from March to June. Um, you know, with working from home and taking care of the kids, mm-hmm. um, I, I am getting fearful that this is setting us up for, for some bigger problems later on in social development, oh. and, um, addiction to phones. It, it's going to be interesting.
0: And, and just another quick side story, and then we're going to get right to the interview. But um, my daughter had softball practice today. And it was funny because in the morning, my kids, they weren't really at each other, but there was just sort of this general, general anxiety. And, and I've been feeling it all weekend, too. But I could just tell that like they just there was something in them that needed to move, that needed to get out. And I was so thankful that the softball practice got moved up like four hours. So it was like in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of a softball practice for one kid and and play date with the younger sibling for the other one. And I was like, these kids need to interact with other kids in a somewhat normal environment so badly. And I was right. We got there, they played, they ran around in the sun for a couple hours. Afterward, we went and talked to some Uh, some other friends of ours and just that social interaction, you can tell like the anxiety dial just turned way down. So the impact that this is going to have long-term, like you said, aside from the technology, but just that isolation, all of this just upheaval that we've all had to deal with for the last, what, seven months is, is going to be felt for generations. I think, I think this is going to have a long lasting impact on, uh, on the way we function as people.
1: I, I noticed. So my daughter's going back to school and the, the difference in her just general happiness and her anxiety and she's a different person. Like it, it's amazing how much like going to school every day and even though they're socially distanced, even though they're wearing masks, even though they're eating lunch at their desk, right. It's, it's a very different school, Mm -hmm. but she's there with other kids and she's made friends and you know, it, it just, she's happier. Right. It's it's so nice to see. And, you know, I I just see it that schools are going to close down again. Yep. Right. We're already seeing cases um, creep up a little bit here. I, you know, by Halloween, like it's probably going to be all shut down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how do we manage this? How do we deal with these kids who are missing school, missing their friends, missing what used to be and likely will never be again? For a lot of those answers, we turn to one of the smartest guys in the field. His name is Dr. Mark Brackett. He wrote the book, Permission to Feel. Uh, he's been all over the place in the, in the last year since we last spoke to him. And uh, it's it's so interesting to look back on the last year for society and, and how everything has changed, and for him to look back on the last year since he became a superstar in this field. We talked to him about that and uh, and got all kinds of tips on how we can help our kids socially, emotionally, to navigate however long this is going to last we did all that with Dr. Mark Brackett and uh, we talked to him about all that just a couple of weeks ago. Let's start with uh, the book and the last year for you. This thing hit hit the shelves and then you just exploded into a, a huge star. What's, uh, what's this year <laughs> been like for you with the success of this book?
2: Um, well, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I would say that you know, I certainly didn't write a book that was intended to be useful during a pandemic, but I am grateful, you know, that during these difficult times, I'm helping people recognize that they have permission to feel anxious, overwhelmed, scared, stressed, optimistic, hopeful, despair, frustrated, you know, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. And so I think that to me has been a very rewarding, you know, outcome of writing the book that people see um, their emotions differently and that they're, I think the first step in healthy regulation is this permission to feel.
1: Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. And from then on, you can do your breathing exercises. You can try to do your reframing or get the social support you need. But if you don't give yourself that permission to experience whatever emotion you're having and treat it, like a compassionate emotion scientist, as opposed to a critical judge, I think it's downhill.
0: You mentioned, uh, the, obviously, the pandemic. This has gotta be, I would imagine, pretty fertile ground for um, studying how we manage our emotions in a crisis. Can you talk about what you're seeing? What are, I, I imagine you're, you're sort of using this uh, as an educational opportunity. What are you seeing totally. as you look into this?
2: Um, so we've done a lot of studies over the last six months. Uh, we've studied probably over 15,000 people across the United States. Um, a lot of educators, because that's where my real work, you know, most of my work lies. Mm-hmm. Um, but people in the workplace, every kind of person, to be honest. And what we found, of course, is that is anxious. Anxiety, if we ask people, tell me how you're feeling anxious if I say to teachers how do you anticipate feeling when you go back to school anxious Um, if I ask parents about their kids they're frustrated they're bored they're overwhelmed they're anxious Um, I think what's interesting about our research is that we don't just ask people how they feel we ask them well how do you want to feel Mm -hmm. you know and what we find is that people nobody wants to feel anxious all the time (laughs) Um, (laughs) I can tell them what that's like so like you don't want that um (laughs) you know, why not, you know, and so essentially they say things like for teachers, we want to feel excited. Uh, We want to feel safe. We want to feel supported. We want to feel valued. And so a lot of my work over the last few months has been trying to get people to think about how do you close the gap, bridge the gap between anxious, overwhelmed, and scared, you know, over to not just forgetting about those feelings, but we can feel multiple emotions at once Mm -hmm. right it's not Mm -hmm. like you're only anxious like that's not really the truth i'm i you know i'm anxious right now about a lot of things but i'm also optimistic and hopeful and excited about things that i'm doing so i think for us it's about helping people hold multiple emotions as opposed to allowing one of the feelings mostly the unpleasant ones
1: Mm -hmm. to have
2: power over everything right right
1: so you mentioned you know teachers in your last comment. And, you know, today is my daughter's first day of school remote learning. Yeah, And there's a a whole lot of feelings around that, that we've been processing for weeks now. And I, you know, I've heard you talk in the past about integrating emotional intelligence into the classroom. Mm -hmm. And, and that's difficult to do in traditional Settings and now we are where we are, where everyone's remote learning, and a lot of that integration of of emotional intelligence is falling on the parents because it's really difficult to do over uh, remote learning. Obviously, I'm asking really for myself here. <laughs> you know what? I tried for the
2: therapy piece just so you know. But,
1: anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what? What what can we do as parents to to help integrate the emotional intelligence in this scenario where, where all the kids are are learning remotely?
2: Well, a few things. I think, you know, one of my friends who's a principal of a school in Harlem, New York, she always says it's the people who make the school, not the building. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that mindset because, you know, I have a team of 60 and we've been able to interact, you know, on Zoom. I mean, we don't love it, it's not my ideal although I really like doing these podcasts and presentations from my home instead of traveling out to the East Coast or West Coast or wherever it is. It's a lot of wear and tear on your body. So there are benefits to online you know, interactions. Um, and tools You know, like the Mood Meter, which is, you've seen because it's at the heart of my book. Um, it's the opening two pages with the colors and the words. Um, there's no reason why you can't do a Mood Meter check-in with your class you know, through you know, remote learning. And people are doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in many ways, it allows you to chat individually with students, you know, depending on their age, to help them, you know, with their feelings. So it can be advantageous because in a traditional class, you can't, it's harder to do that. Um, I think for parents, using tools like the mood Meter are just really helpful Um, periodically, you know, with rituals. So like in the morning, we're getting ready for school. So let's just check in. I think the harder part for that Is that the adults, right? Meaning the parents have to be willing to be open and authentic with their kids. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of parents right now are hiding their true feelings because they're afraid that they're gonna scare their kids by their own, you know, overwhelming anxiety. And what I'd love to see happen is parents say, you know, daddy's a bit anxious today. Um, I'm a little worried about this and I'm a little worried about that, but here's how I'm gonna help myself manage my feelings. You know, I'm saying to myself, we've got an amazing family, we have a healthy breakfast, you know, XYZ, and um, so you're modeling that the sharing of unpleasant emotions is not a bad thing or a scary thing, and you're modeling that um, you have helpful strategies to support you in managing those feelings. That's, that's the ultimate goal.
0: I'm curious uh, as the developer of the ruler method that is in thousands of schools across the country, that's not something that most parents are are equipped to teach. And so that is something that's, that's gone online. So if you don't mind, just kind of briefly revisit what ruler is, but then also sure. I've, I've heard uh, there's one speaker locally in particular that, that talks about uh, racial equity, equity in schools a lot. And, um, they have concerns about teaching particularly social behavior in school can you talk a little bit about how ruler is implemented and and how i guess fair equitably it is it is applied or or where sort of that research lands
2: yeah of course i think it's a really important point because <clears throat> i think that in the wrong hands you know like for example some people think that social and emotional learning is about controlling the underserved population. Right. Like none of us have ever written that in any of our, our, you know, papers, and nor do we think it. Um, it's the opposite because what this work is about is helping people find the strategies that work best for them to support them in achieving well being and good relationships and helping them achieve their dreams. It's not for me to tell anybody what they should be doing to regulate. My job is to help the child explore what works best for them based on their religion, based on their context, based on all kinds of things that are, you know, about that child, not about me. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the hard part for this work, in that, you know, we're used to teaching math and it's very kind of straightforward and science is pretty straightforward, but social emotional learning is more complex because we have biases you know, like, for example, I think everybody should do, you know, hot power yoga because I like it. <laughs> right. You know, right. but like, what the heck is up with that? Like, you know, that's, I've had the privilege of learning that and liking it and I'll never do it again because who the heck nowadays wants to go into a hot room. People breathing. <laughs> but you know, that was my, that was my past favorite strategy, but I got to learn a new one cause I ain't doing that one right, anymore. Right. Um, but my point really is that we have all these biases that we're not aware of because we live in a culture that just programs us subconsciously. Um, And we, those come out or can come out in the classroom, Mm -hmm. whether it be my or something, not my, but other people's or people's in general, implicit bias around reading emotion, right? That we have a stereotype in our nation, you know, that people of a certain color of a certain gender, right? They're more likely to express anger And so we'll look for that anger in that face and we'll project anger in that facial expression when it's not anger Mm -hmm. Um, in psychology, you know, and among children who are, who come from very um, uh, abusive backgrounds, it's called a hostile attribution bias, you know, where we, you know, you know, saw daddy and mommy like making a lot of angry faces as a kid and, you know, being mean and cruel. And we then, internalize that and then we kind of look are vigilant and just thinking that people are expressing that that's just one example um i think we also need to think through so ruler right is recognizing emotions Mm -hmm. in myself and others Mm -hmm. so when i'm reading your facial expressions right now right i don't want to make assumptions right the only way to really know how someone is feeling is to ask them
0: Mm
2: -hmm. we are um we've been tricked by tv shows and other things that like it's just easy to pick people's or read people's expressions. It's not as easy as people think. Mm-hmm. Understanding emotions is like, all right, well, do I know why you're feeling the way you are? Like Jeremy, Zach, do I know what's you know what's going on in your brain around your frustration or your anxiety? Because if I don't know the reason, you know, for your anxiety, it's gonna be hard for me to help you manage it. Right. If I'm anxious about an upcoming test, it's really different than if I'm anxious about what well, I'm gonna get beat up on my way to school. And so you got to know the real underlying reason for it. And then the labeling it is, is it it anxiety or is it overwhelmed or is it fear? Um, And then there's the expression of emotion, the Ian ruler. And I think here is where other aspects of equity really um, are important to consider because as a white privileged guy, right? I have the permission to express my anger Mm -hmm. in ways that maybe a black male doesn't. And so you know, kids who are black and being raised, you know, in by parents who are concerned about their health and safety, right? Our programming, you know, you can't express this, be careful here. That's a lot of extra weight, you know, put on our BIPOC community um, that I don't have. And so that's not only forcing me to live, that poor child is having to live in like a dual existence um, and having to self monitor, in a different way than i would have to self monitor. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's a structural thing that we have to deal with. Like what do we need to do in terms of shifting, you know, the mindsets of our nation around who has the privilege right to express emotions. And then regulation as i said is a tough one because a lot of people think of emotion regulation as self control. It's one piece of it. Right, right. Like, yes, I'm trying to. You know, I put on my COVID five. Um, I'm pissed at myself for like. You know, I thought I was going to be have a better exercise routine and eat healthier. Meanwhile, my mother-in-law has been here, and she's like from Panama, and she likes to have salt and rice every night and beans and beef. I'm like, what am I doing in my life? (laughs) But um, I'm eating it. That's what I'm doing because it tastes good. Yeah, Um, definitely. She's back in Panama. (laughs) <laughs> thankfully, after six
0: months. Um, and with no button, yoga, like, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, you're, you're, I know no you're yoga eating
2: beef and rice, like, <laughs> what are you going to expect?
1: Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit and kind of talk about, you know, our, y- you mentioned, you mentioned the COVID five, I, w- I would have loved the COVID five <laughs> yeah, a little bit higher than that myself. But um, yeah, you know, the it, it's, uh, it's an interesting time that we're living in. And before COVID, right? What well, health and well being, right? Was was people thought of it, but now I think it's it's more important than ever that that we think about those things. But how 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 are emotions and especially unprocessed emotions, um, how are they having like a physical impact on our bodies? And have have you seen any data on this in the last six months or even there you know, is. has it changed dramatically?
2: Well for sure. I mean, we know pre-COVID, right, that there was a lot of anxiety and despair and depression in our nation. Some studies show that there's as much as an eightfold increase, you know, in anxiety. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think for people, like it's very important to distinguish, you know, the good stress from the bad stress. So, you know, I put myself under a lot of pressure because I really am trying to be creative during these difficult times. I'm trying to get out of my comfort zone. I'm trying to Um, and you know really make ruler even better you know than it was Um, and I like that kind of pressure that makes me creative that makes me uh, information gatherer it makes me more collaborative actually because I want to hear other people's opinions Mm. but then there's that you know acute stress the chronic stress and the toxic stress the stress that makes you not want to get out of bed in the morning, the stress that makes you feel like what's life's purpose kind of experience, the stress Mm -hmm. that makes you, you know, ruminate throughout the day about your finances, about your health, and about your safety. That's the stress that really takes its toll on our physical and mental health, Mm -hmm. you know, from our immune system being compromised, because when we have, you know, periodic releases of cortisol is what keeps us, safe right it's like oh god i gotta protect myself i gotta you know jump out of the way of this car Mm -hmm. Um, but when your body and brain are in constant fight or flight or freeze mode your body responds differently and it responds in a way that thinks it's going to be short-term but it's really long term and those chemicals are responsible for breaking down proteins in our bodies Affecting the way we process information, affecting insulin levels, which then affect our cravings for more unhealthy kinds of foods. Mm -hmm. And so to me, honestly, it's our moral obligation to ensure that people don't stay in that chronic toxic stress place because it literally is a public health phenomenon. It is killing people, you know, and um, there are ways to support people. Even um, people in the most dire circumstances can learn strategies to support them, and just decreasing, you know, that vigilance, you know, and that kind of activation.
1: Mm-hmm. I know my way of supporting people over the last six months has actually been giving copies of your book. Um, oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. It, 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 in the last six months, that, by the way, it's a great <laughs> it, it, it has quickly become the most gifted book that. Oh. Um, that I give out. It's on paperback
2: um, now. You can get a deal. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, people have been asking me left and right because I had mentioned that we talked to you last year, and um a lot of people at work, a lot of friends have come up to me and I don't really have a question as part of this, but I just wanted to let you know that people have been asking.
2: <laughs> That's all right. I prefer that. you to talk, keep talking about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, <laughs>
1: that you know, they they you know what what should I do? I'm really stressed out, I'm really anxious, and I've been giving them your book and there's been a lot of really great feedback and that just reinforces my, my opinion that since I read it last year, it really has become one of my favorite books. Oh, on, thank you. You know, personally and on my, it's it's part of my toolkit.
2: I really appreciate that. And you know, for, even for me, you know, I wrote the book, but like, you know, our brains are weird. We forget things that we write. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, you're under so much pressure to putting everything in, you know, in one book. And I'm like, mm-hmm. whenever people like ask me a question, I'm like it's better to read the book because I can't remember. <laughs> 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 That's what you know is. it's just like uh um and i always say actually it's you don't really know what you know until you can get it all out in writing
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: because like even when people ask questions about stress and the you know cortisol levels and you know the hpa axis it's complicated yeah you know and it's hard to remember all the details you know of the hypothalamus and etc sure
0: and
2: in the end i don't really. Think that that's that important to understand like what area of your brain I think people are overly <laughs> impressed by like this area of the brain lights up. Mm-hmm. Um I think yeah. it's more about like how does my everyday life and how does how I feel and how does how I manage my feelings, you know, affect my life. Yeah. That's definitely. the more important thing.
0: Definitely. Mm-hmm. Talking about the the physical manifestation of unprocessed emotions on our bodies. Um I've there's sort of two pronged here. One is, I've noticed that you know, when Zach and I started the show, not long before that, I was a much heavier fella than I am now. And mm-hmm. the more the more w- sort of inner work I did, the the more weight I lost and the healthier I got. I I still feel like there's work to do on the inside, and it's it's interesting because there's still some work to do on the outside. So. I there's guess, always going to be
2: work to do, so just get over it. Right,
0: but but I guess I'm curious how how our body can tell us how we're doing with managing our, our emotions and our feelings. Can we can we get on the on the scale and go? Okay, I've got 20 pounds to lose. That's a symbol that I'm. There's something inside that that needs work. Is that I mean, too I mean, I far? I think it starts
2: with early habits. Okay, you know I feel very blessed. I was a very traumatized kid. As you know, from reading my book, mm-hmm. I had, you know, abuse, I had terrible bullying, you know, I had familial challenges, but the one thing that like my father did right was he dropped me off at the karate studio. Right. Right. And I was blessed that this teacher was actually a pretty good guy. And, um, ended up being actually a wacko, but that's a whole <laughs> other story. Um, Cause I got very good at the martial art and then he became threatened by me. Wow um because mm. i wanted to move on to like go to a study with someone else so i, I was like know, yeah, we don't you don't know what you don't know right and right. then you're like i got to be pretty i got my black belt and then i'm like i went to a tournament like oh my goodness like that teacher is amazing yeah <laughs> like, and that's when you know really it was a very interesting exercise in loyalty and emotion emotional intelligence Me, mm-hmm. when right. as i reflect on that because anyway And my point about that divergent story is that although i'm my automatic tendency in the morning is be like mark you need more rest stay in bed and just do nothing (laughs) right i have this urge to move Mm -hmm. and exercise and i think we have to learn how to build those habits as early as possible in our life Mm -hmm. because emotion management and health management is a life's journey And it's easier when you start these habits early on. right? So yes, you know, and also by the way, related to the inner work, I feel like, I mean, I've had so many years of therapy, you know, I spent 25 years of my life now as an emotion scientist and writing things and researching things and curriculum development, I must have done at least 10,000 presentations. And then I'm like, nasty to my (laughs) mother-in-law you know and i'm like you know like my partner like we're like all right when are you leaving um because like i can't deal with this i need like i need some space now i'm now i'm like alone for the last three days i'm like oh my god i'm so depressed i'm lonely Right, Uh, right and so like my point really is that it's like this is life's work unlike math I've learned enough math to get through my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I can count my change. I can balance my checkbook. Right. Um, I'm okay there. You know, do I, did I, do I, do, I think I failed calculus in high school, <laughs> but like I haven't had any need for it. So I'm all right with it. Right. But if you want to have kids, if you want to be in a relationship, if you want to work in the world, you need these skills. And you can't really get away anymore without having them. And a pandemic can make you, you know, can just turn you upside down because, you know, I never, I never worked from home in my life Mm -hmm. and I don't, I used to work in coffee shops and run around. And, and now I'm like in my house all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was hard for a couple months, you know, like being sedentary, not being with my team, being with my family all day, it made me crazy. Mm -hmm. And so that was a whole new era of learning. Yeah, and trying to apply everything that I've learned about healthy emotion regulation to like now. And it's taken a while to to get it right. And in five years, it'll be something else, you know, it'll be the loss of someone I care for, or it will be a new position or whatever it might be. You just, that's why it's like an attitude piece that we have to have around emotional intelligence. Not like I've got it, but you know, I'm a work in progress, and I'm in learning mode right. all the time. Mm-hmm.
1: I struggled with that when uh, we went remote. I'm very good at reading other people's emotions in person. I can read body language. It Sounds maybe a little woo-woo, but I can read the energy in the room. And I, at least you think know. you can. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm generally good at it. I'll send you a I, study to read about
2: that. But anyway. I,
1: I don't I don't know what it is, and I could never you know i could never write down what it is that i recognize but when since going remote you know i i lost a lot of that i couldn't read people as well as i used to be able to and i was really yeah. upset for a good couple of months that i was losing my edge or you know wasn't able to be as effective as possible and it took about 2 months before i realized that wait a minute wait a minute this is an opportunity for me mm-hmm. to get better um, at recognizing um, my own emotions, other people's emotions in a totally different way that's probably going to be really normal going forward.
2: Makes sense. That's great. I mean, that's the kind of self-awareness we want to have you know, everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, Recognizing, well, I'm not really sure about this or I'm not really sure how people are feeling and going back to school. It's why teachers can't just look at these facial expressions and say, oh, everybody's fine. Mm-hmm. You really got to check in.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I had a, a clash with my own emotions uh, recently that I talked about on the show, and I'm just I'm I'm kind of curious if this is what you mean when you talk about how unprocessed emotions uh, have a way of presenting themselves for for you to manage. And the short version is that basically I kept having these random flashbacks of painful childhood memories where I was alone and crying and and just really just terribly upset, mm-hmm. and and they were just random, like just completely out of nowhere. And I hadn't thought about these things in 20 years. And one night I was sitting with my kid in her room and, and just helping her get to sleep. And she's laying there snuggling with a, a little doll that we got on a trip recently. And I just decided to take that moment and go, I'm going to just just meditate on these, these memories and why they keep coming up. And as I was holding kind of her hand and, and feeling that doll, I flashed back to the trip that we were on that was just before COVID, before everything locked Mm -hmm. down. And I just, all of these dots connected in this, in this kind of strange light tunnel where I, I connected that so much of the fear and anxiety and stress that I'm, that I'm feeling now, but maybe not really aware of, it's just sort of this undercurrent are tied to that same childhood feeling of fear and and not being safe and and being alone. Um, And it was strangely healing, like just being able to sort of recognize, okay, that's, that's the message my body's trying to tell me is, is that in line with what you say about unprocessed emotions, sort of forcing you to deal with them eventually?
2: We're going to do a whole nother session on this. (laughs) Um, I think it's partly that I just think that, you know, our emotions are triggered by our senses you know and that may be a sight smell touch you know cognitive memory um but i think what's beautiful about what you shared is that you know you gave yourself the permission to just go there Mm -hmm. you know you didn't be like that's bad i don't want to regress or transgress right you were like i'm going to meditate on this i'm going to reflect on this yeah and treat it as an experience right not as something that has power over who you are as a dad and you know, makes you have to feel bad about yourself. right? And that's, that's the distancing. That's a, you know, an important strategy actually, which is, you know, called psychological distancing, you know, where you can distance yourself from the experience and not allow the experience to just like take over, Mm -hmm. but learn Mm -hmm. from it. You know, like I I have a similar, similarly in my here, you know, all of my control issues, which are, you know, according to my family, like they they can write volumes on them. Um, (laughs) Have, have come out during this crisis. And so if I feel like I ate shit, I yell at everybody else about what they're eating, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If I feel lazy, it's like, oh, you don't want to exercise anymore? Yeah. It's like I just project onto everybody, <laughs> you know? And I'm just, and then I, I'm even aware of it when I'm doing it. I'm like, Mark, come on. You're the director of the Center for Freaking Emotional Intelligence. <laughs> like, on, you can do this. You can do it. Like, and then I'm just like, I can't do it some nights. I'm like, oh. <laughs> And so you got to give yourself the permission to fail too. And, and you got to give yourself the permission to apologize. Mm -hmm. And you got to give yourself the permission to forgive when other people make mistakes, because this is hard stuff. And it's like, why, you know, there's actually good research on this. When people who, they did a study where people who held grudges versus people who um, forgave And they asked them literally jump in the air after they wrote the grudge letter or the uh, forgiveness letter. And the forgiveness people like jump like six inches higher than the, on average than the grudge people. (laughs) And so like literally writing about forgiveness, like just makes you lighter.
0: That's insane.
2: Yeah. So you don't, there's, you know, there are, you know, physical interesting benefits to these, to, to not being so self-critical and having much greater self-compassion. Yeah.
1: So, I just took away from that that I'm going to write a forgiveness letter right before my workouts <laughs> right. so I can get a little extra in there.
2: There you go. Uh, so, I, I've wanted Dunkin' Donuts afterwards. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you don't have the way. Well, you guys are on the West Coast, right? Uh, I I'm am. on the East Coast. Oh, you are? Okay.
1: I am. I I used to love Dunkin' Donuts. I, I dropped a whole bunch of weight a long time ago and I, I used to get uh, an extra large coffee with extra sugar and extra creamer with a french vanilla shot and i had that every morning and
2: a glazed or a muffin
1: yeah and i experimented when we moved back to the east coast i went and ordered one and took one sip and i almost threw up it was uh, i can't so even imagine sugary i uh, i couldn't i couldn't stand it but i don't yeah. go to duncan anymore except it for just coffee with cream that's there you it. go there
0: you go
2: you've elevated your coffee uh, <laughs> experience Yes, I have two. Yes. By the way, I'm 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 a I'm a Seattle coffee person.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah. So you, you, that's I that's where I am. I'm in Seattle. So. I know. Well, Victrola go. is where I order my oh, coffee from. Oh yes, very nice. That's that, that's the stuff right there. I don't mess around. Um, nice. before we before we let you go, there's one question that I uh, neglected to ask you when we talked to you a year ago, and um, uh, wanted to to run it by you, and, and just just sort of helping us differentiate between. Uh, thoughts and feelings? Because I think that it's easy to confuse them when when it's all flying through your body at the same time. Mm -hmm.
2: Probably the easiest way to think about it is like hot versus cold information, Mm. right? An emotion happens when there's a shift in your environment. You know, a car comes at you rapidly, someone says something mean or cruel to you, and your body goes into a response to that shift and it has some kind of personal significance and it may relate to your survival, to approach or avoid kind of a situation. Whereas thoughts just don't have that phenomenon associated with it. Mm. You know, you just, it's a memory and like I, it's a different area of your brain in many ways that's being, that's operating. You know, so thoughts are cold cognitive things around just general information the way I like to think about it is that people sometimes say, well, do you need emotional intelligence everywhere you go? I'm like, well, sort of, but the way you like to think about it, you're on the beach, you're sitting around having your pina colada, you know, if you like those, they have a lot of calories, but (laughs) (laughs) they do having your diet, Coke and rum, uh, which sounds (laughs) disgusting. But anyway, uh, you're in, you're just, you know, chilling out, you're reflecting on life, you're reading a book, Right, you're in this kind of like simple generative cognitive place. And then somebody kicks the sand in your face, and it's like, boom, that's the emotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, the emotion is, is that shift because of, of, a, of, of, of a stimulus, right, that produces neurochemicals. And it's associated with your thinking because emotions drive where we spend our attention, right? So we start being vigilant about where. Right, what's my safety route? Um, they motivate behavior.
0: They say, "I got to fight. I got to flight. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, it's fascinating stuff. You're. You're. I mean, you don't need us to tell you. You're a brilliant guy, and, and I know you've heard that a lot, in uh, particularly Appreciate the last that. year. What would you say to someone who's sort of just just uh, being exposed to this kind of uh, thinking, this this way of? approaching our feelings, what's, what's sort of the takeaway that people should, should keep a in great mind? Great question, Jeremy. <laughs>
2: um, I think step one is you got to give yourself the permission to feel. Step two is see emotions as information, like they're data. It's telling me something that I need to learn from and listen to. The third is, you know, be that scientist about emotions, not the judge,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? Be in learner mode, not knower mode. Be curious, not critical. The fourth is that there's the, there are skills. R U L E R. You got to learn them. You got to relearn them. You got to keep learning them. You got to practice them. You got to refine them. You're gonna make mistakes, um, and that's all okay. And then I would say that we don't live in a vacuum. We live in the world around us, and you know, spread that information to everybody you know. You know, your kids, your colleagues, your parents your dogs, um, whoever. Uh, because I don't think this is not a set of skills that is about an individual. They're not about an individual, they're about communities. Mm-hmm. Just lastly, what I'll say as a kid, you know, when I was suffering so much, my parents did do something right, which was they put me in therapy. Mm-hmm. But then I saw this therapist once a week and we played ping pong and we chatted and then i went back to a home that was you know with an angry father and an anxious mother and i went back to school where teachers weren't reading my facial expressions or body language and you know i was failing as a student i was bullied horrifically so you know giving me the one little the one little kid this little treatment but not and everybody else not learning the skills and practicing the skills is not as helpful Mm -hmm. so that's why i'm on a mission right to create an emotion revolution and i'm honored and delighted that you guys are i think you actually like have gone from like being on the bus to maybe you're like going to be part-time bus drivers of my bus.
0: Oh, we're trying. We're definitely trying. <laughs> There's so many valuable lessons in your book. It's it's powerful work and stuff that I wish my parents had read. They can change
2: too, by the way. As you saw in my book, my father at 78 had a major wake-up call about yeah. his feelings and it changed his relationship with his wife forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Don't give
0: up. All right, that's Dr. Mark Brackett. He is the research psychologist and founding director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and professor in the Child Studies Center at Yale University. So sharp dude knows what he's talking about a lot more than we do. Uh, That's why we love having him on. And especially, you know, this just, like I said at the beginning of the show, this dovetails off of what we were talking about last week, just the the anxiety on overload. I've spent the last couple of days just feeling generally on edge. There's just so much um, with just trying to keep it all together with school, with work, with, you know, wherever you come down on the, on the election that's coming up, everyone's really feeling anxious about that. There's just There's just a lot going on in the world, so... I know for me, it always helps when I hear someone like him saying, yeah, everyone feels this way. It's normal. You and everyone else. So I I don't know, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's just me, but I don't think so. I think generally when I can normalize a situation because other people are experiencing it, it helps me.
1: Yeah, no, my, my big takeaway from that was, you know, he is incredibly educated and smart in the area of emotional intelligence and he made a couple of comments about how he missed signs of his yes. emotions um right so even somebody um as high as him in this in this field mm-hmm. even he makes mistakes right so it it tells me it's
0: okay i love hearing it i love hearing people who kn- who know as much as there is to know about whatever it is and hearing that they also struggle because that again comes back to the the core mission of what we do here is just to normalize to share in the struggle of what this experience is for everybody and that again it just it just makes it easier to digest when things are tough or when i fall down to to get back up and keep trying yeah
1: it's it's so easy to know what to do it's so hard to actually do it
0: and it, you know it's great having had this conversation us talking more about this on the show as we've now switched to a weekly format the last couple of days like i said this anxiety i've been carrying around i've it's been more top of mind to take a minute take a beat and just go what is that where is that coming from and even just going okay you just you're just generally anxious even if i don't have time to dig and go why where is it coming from just seeing it and like he says, naming it to tame it totally works because I saw it and I went, okay, you're anxious. You're allowed to feel that way. The world's in chaos right now. It's okay. And then it just, it just lifts and you can mm-hmm. get through the next minute, hour, day, whatever it is. But that, that one moment of just taking a breath and going, what am I feeling? Again, just opens up the door to, to healing it and and moving forward. Yeah. Yep. Well, we're going to start wrapping things up here. Before we get out of here, we want to mention a couple things. One, we want to thank our sponsor, The Athletic Brewing Company. Uh, throughout the recording of this episode, I've been enjoying the Run Wild uh, non-alcoholic non-alcoholic IPA. I think of of what I've sampled, I think this is my favorite. This has become my go-to, the Run Wild. It's, it, again, non-alcoholic, tastes like an IPA. I, I don't miss the alcohol. I don't miss the hangover. I, I can drink a beer with no regrets. I can drink a beer while I'm working from home. It's it's the perfect work from home beer. It's uh it's been really nice to have these in the fridge. So thank you to Athletic Brewing Company for sponsoring us. Yes, and yes.
1: It's it's almost October and they have an Oktoberfest as now, well. you've which, you've sampled this.
0: I have not. Tell me more well, about this Oktoberfest cuz I I this is uh, I believe 3 years sober for me. So it's been a long time since an Oktoberfest has crossed my lips. It
1: took me by surprise because I was getting so used to um the IPA which I really enjoy as well. Mm-hmm. But it was so delicious. It just reminded me of, you know, all the times that we went up to a cabin during Oktoberfest mm-hmm. and actually had Oktoberfest type beers. Yep. It, it it brought back all of those memories. So it was it was, it was it was absolutely delicious. And uh, I'm sad right now because I drank the last cold one <sighs> a few hours ago Uh-oh. and I was hoping to have one while we recorded, but I forgot to put one in the fridge. You so. ruined it. I did. You ruined I did. it.
0: Um, as long as we're talking about making money and supporting the show, uh, you can help support the show by visiting our brand new merchandise store. We just set it up a couple of days ago, and uh, the the shirts and the mugs and the hats and the whatnot are flying off the shelves, so get them while they're hot. Uh, there's a link on our website. Look for the little coffee mug. Click there. Buy till your heart's content, and uh, that's a great way to support the show and to help spread the word because people will see you uh, walking around uh, with with our logo on it, and they'll say, hey, what's that all about? And you'll tell them all about us, and it's a great way to Help spread the word and grow our little show. So we really appreciate your uh, your support there. And speaking of supporting the show, uh, look for a brand new episode next week. Again, we've switched to a weekly format. And next week, I think we touched on this on a show that actually got posted several weeks ago. But Zach, you've been experimenting with the NAD treatments.
1: Yeah. On our next episode, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Polonice, who was kind enough to inject me full of NAD a few times. And we also have a second guest who's going to be coming on, uh, a gentleman named John Tubbs, who got NAD as well, but he has had a multitude of health issues and he's talking about his experience and how much NAD helped him. So we actually have two guests on our next show.
0: And I think it's going to be really interesting to hear sort of the, the comparison between your experience as a perfectly healthy person uh, undergoing this treatment and somebody who has been on death's door and been offered this and to see sort of the impact it's had on on both of your lives. And like you said, we'll talk to Dr. Polonis, who initiated the treatment for both of you uh, about what NAD is, how it's beneficial, and and how it could help you. We'll get into all of that on the next episode. It will be available on Wednesday. Until then, thanks so much for listening and make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast player you use. We look forward to speaking with you again next week at thefitmas.com.
1: See everyone. We know this podcast is amazing and does not seem to lack anything, but we do need a legal disclaimer. Jeremy and Zach are not doctors. They do not play them on the Internet, and even if they did play them on the Internet, they would be really bad at it. Please consult your physician prior to implementing any changes that you heard on this podcast. The listener assumes that Jeremy and Zach do not know what they are talking about and that you will do your own research on the topics talked about on this podcast.